Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter. Our text today is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our study this morning. Pray with me. O God, who teaches the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, Grant us, by the same Spirit, to have a right understanding of your saving truth. Visit, we pray you, this congregation with your love and favor. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Graft in our hearts a love of truth. Increase in us true religion. And nourish us with all goodness and mercy. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all come up and join me. Good to see y'all. Welcome. Yeah, plenty of room right there on the stairs. All right, guys. Uh, do you remember the sunflower seeds that I gave out uh, a few weeks ago? The, those kind of gigantic seeds? Yeah. Uh, with that seed, I gave you everything that you needed to start a little garden. Well, Maggie Lugo took her seed home, and she did just that. She planted it in some dirt in a little cup to start it, and she watered it just enough. And sure enough, it started to grow. A and it grew enough to where just recently, she was ready to take it outside and plant it in the ground, in, her, in their family's garden. Look, you can, see, you can see it growing over the top of the roses. Like, it's already that tall. That's it's, that's a picture. Yeah, I know, it's the picture, but, but there it is. That's the plant. I can't see that. That's the sunflower right there beside her head. Oh, there. Yeah. Well, what would have happened, though, if she did not plant it or water it, what would have happened to that little seed? Yeah, that's right. That little seed would have come to nothing, but with a little bit of effort on her part, the green life that God put into that little seed burst forth, and it's growing right now. Well, in the scripture that we just read, Peter says that Jesus has given us everything that we need to grow up in Him, to follow Him, and enjoy a new kind of life with Him. He's already rescued us from sin and death. 
And he promises that we are going to share in his perfection. The seed of our future hope is already given to us. And because of what Jesus has already given to you, Peter says we must do something. He says make every effort to grow up into the new kind of person that God means for you to be. And he lists things like self-control and brotherly care for others, which if you think about it, those are qualities that Jesus himself had. And So just like Maggie had to plant that seed and care for it by making sure it had enough water and light, we need to put in the effort to grow up in Christ. We, we want to grow up into a whole field of people who look like Jesus. Now, you and I both know our efforts at doing that aren't going to be perfect. Sometimes we forget to water ourselves in God's grace for a day or two or maybe even more. Sometimes we're in the dark a little longer than we should be. But God promises us here that if we make the effort to grow, because of it, to grow the gift that he's already given us, then he will give the growth. And because our God won't fail to keep his promise. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks guys. You can go back to your seat. If you've not already done so, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Our text this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. You'll remember that we are currently in a series of sermons on uh, our salvation, and particularly on the benefits of our salvation. And we began this series by noting uh, that there are three primary benefits that we receive from Christ in this life. We receive our justification, our adoption, and our sanctification. But we have also noted that there are several secondary benefits which either flow out of these or accompany these in this life. And these, according to our catechism, are the assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance in that grace to the end. To this point, we've looked at assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this morning, uh, we are taking up the topic of increase of grace, or as it's uh, referred to here in, uh, or as it's referred to in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, uh, as growth in grace. And so uh, we are, while that phrase comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, we're, we're looking at chapter 1 because there he goes into much greater detail about what this growth looks like and, and how it is actually achieved. And when we look at these verses here in 2 Peter chapter 1, I think, I think the main point of these verses, the point that, that Peter is driving home is this, that we have been called to godliness and we have been equipped for godliness. Therefore, we must make every effort to grow in godliness, knowing that our Father will give the growth. So let's begin with that first point. First, we are called 
to godliness. We, we see this in verse 3. Notice what Peter writes. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So we have been called to the glory and excellence of Christ. We have been called into His glory and, and His excellence. We, we have been called to reflect His character, His goodness. It's why he says here in verse 4 that, that through them you may partake of the divine nature. Through these gifts that have been given to us, we, we come to partake of the divine nature. Now we know that doesn't mean that we become divine. That is not at all what the, the New Testament teaches. God is God alone and He is unique and he does, not, uh, he does not make us like Him in that sense. But He does make us like Him. He does conform us more and more to the image of His own glory which was manifest in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so God is in the process of making us more and more after the image of Christ. It's what we heard in our call to worship this morning, that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, where we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are growing up into His maturity. And so when you, when you put what Peter is saying together, what you see is that we have been called to become like God, whose goodness and glory was manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's what we have been saved to. We have been called to godliness. Now, this is quite a bit different than, than simply called to follow a few rules. We, we sometimes think of the, of the Christian life as a life of rules, as, as rules that we have to follow, boxes that we have to check. But, but when you think about it, you recognize that rules, rules are impersonal. Rules are, are, are simply things that we must do, but, but we're not called simply to externally conform to a certain pattern. We're not, we're not called to simply externally conform to a, a certain set of requirements, but rather we are called to be like a person. We are called to conform to the image of our elder brother, who himself is the image of our heavenly Father. This doesn't mean there aren't rules, of course. We, we can think of the rules, can we not? Uh, we, we know that there are the Ten Commandments. We know that there are the, the two great commandments on which all of the law and the prophets hang, as Jesus said. We are, we are called to love God with all our heart, and we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So yes, there are rules which, which guide and give shape to the Christian life. But we must always remember that these rules are a reflection of God's Character. They are not mere rules. They are pictures of our Father in heaven. And thus the call of the Christian life is the call to emulate the object of our affection and love and awe. We are called to emulate the divine nature. We are called to godliness. We are, we are called to emulate His perfect goodness, His pure holiness. And that is radically different than merely following rules. And I think when we begin to see it this way, when we begin to see that we are called to, to emulate our Father, when we are called to be like our elder brother, when we, when we begin to see this, 
It helps us to, to recognize the goodness of this call to godliness. We, we see this even at a human level. Think about someone whom you greatly admire. Someone whom, whom you have looked up to for a long time. Maybe it's uh, a father or a mother. Maybe it's a, a mentor. Someone who, who walked with you early in your life. Or maybe just at a, at a difficult point later in your life. But someone whose character you have seen. Someone whose, whose character you admire and respect. You, you've seen their goodness firsthand. You, you admire it. You, you, you stand in awe of it in some sense. They embody what you want to be. And so the call to be like them is not a burden, but it is a, a, a blessing. It is a call to, to live into that which you desire to become. That's exactly how we are to understand this call, except multiply it to the nth degree. We are called to be like our heavenly Father, we are, we are called to live into His character. And in so doing, we are called to become what we long to be. Our hearts renewed by Christ long to be conformed to the image of His glory because we have tasted and we have seen His goodness. You see, this is what we are called to. This is what it is to be called to godliness. It is the, it is the call to become fully what we were created to be, fully what we have been redeemed to be. And when we begin to see it this way, we, we see the goodness of the call. The call to godliness, the call to holiness is a beautiful thing. But while it is a good call, at the same time, the goodness of the call in our minds may be outweighed by what seems to be the impossibility of the call. Sure, it is good to become like God. Sure, it is good to be conformed to the image of our elder brother, to be pure as he is pure, holy as he is holy, good as he is good. Yes, all of that is truly desirable. But is it not far beyond our ability? Is it, is it not so far beyond our ability that the, the call seems something like a joke? Sure, it would be, who wouldn't want to be like God, but, but how is that supposed to happen? We feel that. We, we, we feel the impossibility of the call. And that's why it's so important to see what else Peter says in this passage. He doesn't only tell us that we have been called to godliness, but notice what he says. He, he says that we have been equipped for godliness. In Christ, he says, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. In Christ, we have everything we need to answer the call that has been placed upon us, to live a life worthy of that call, to live the Christian life as it has been set before us in the Scriptures. Now, what does that tell us? That, that tells us that that in Christ, sin is no longer necessary or inevitable. Once it was. Once, apart from Christ, your will was in bondage to your sinful nature. You were, as Paul says in Ephesians, dead in your trespasses and sins. 
But that is no longer true. You have been made alive together with Christ. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer enslaved. Sin is no longer necessary and inevitable as it once was. Now I know even hearing those words can be, can be difficult. It's, it's, it's hard to swallow. To believe that, that sin is no longer necessary or inevitable. But, but recognize that it's not just Peter who says that. Paul says much the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He writes, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. When temptation comes, God provides the strength to stand. He provides the the way of escape. It doesn't mean that that he removes you from the realm of the temptation, but rather that he will strengthen you to withstand the temptation, that you not give in to it. He says something very similar in Galatians chapter 5, there as he is outlining for us the, uh, the familiar text about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you walk in the power of the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now again, I'm not suggesting that any of us will achieve such perfection in this life. Paul himself readily admits that he himself has not obtained all this. He, he says that explicitly in his letters. He says, no, brothers, not that I have obtained this already. Because of the old man that, that continues to dwell with us and, and in us, because of that sinful nature that, that, that continues to, to entangle and, and hinder us, that, that, that sinful nature that continues to wage war against our souls, Peter says in his first letter. Because of that, all of us continue to sin in this life. But, but regardless, the point still stands. When we sin, it is not because we could not do otherwise. There was a time when we could not not sin. Apart from Christ in Adam, we were slaves. We were bound. But now in Christ, we have been set free. And when we sin, it is not because we could not do otherwise, but because we did not appropriate the power that was ours in Christ. This is why Paul prays the way that he does for the Ephesian church. Think about what he says in in Ephesians chapter 1. Praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. That the eyes of their hearts would be opened. And what is it that he wants them to see? He wants them to see the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. He wants us to see that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in us by faith. So what does this mean for us? It means that in Christ we have everything we need to grow in grace. In Christ we have everything we need to to progress towards godliness and God-like character. Not only have we been called, but we have been equipped. We have been given everything. But just like that sunflower seed, what we have been given needs to be Cultivate, and that's what Peter tells us. He, he says in, in verses 5 through 7 that because we have been given everything, we must now use it. We must now get to work. He says, therefore, let us make every 
effort. Let us put in the work. And and what are we working towards? We are working to supplement our faith. Or the NIV even says, add to your faith. Now I understand that in our circles, that that language seems almost heretical, right? We we don't add to our faith. We don't do that. We we believe in, in salvation by faith alone. We stand upon that that principle. And and yes, that is, of course, absolutely true. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your salvation is received as a gift of God. You do not have to earn it or add to it. But the point that Peter is making is actually the same point that the, the same reformers, those same reformers who championed in faith alone, Those same reformers also said that the faith that alone receives salvation is a faith that is never alone in the life of the saved. The faith that receives salvation is a faith that always expresses itself in love. And that love which is obedience to God's commands. And that's the point that Peter is making when he he says that we are to make every effort to add to our faith virtue. He is simply saying what what Paul says when, when he commands us to work out our faith, to express our faith in love. And so how do we do that? What is, what, how does Peter describe this, this working out of our faith? He, he says that we are to add to our faith virtue. Now, the word for virtue here is a, is a word that uh, could, could simply be translated as goodness. You have been called and equipped to emulate God's goodness, His, his good ca- character. And therefore, P- Peter says, add to your faith. Uh, your faith has received this gift of, of everything necessary. Now put it into practice. Add to your faith the goodness for which your faith equips you. If you don't, Peter will say later in verse 9, he says, if if you do not add to your faith goodness, if you do not add to your faith this, this virtue, then you are completely missing the point of your salvation. You are completely misunderstanding why you were cleansed of your sins. You were not cleansed so that you could continue to live in sin. You were not set free so that you could then do whatever you want. You were set free from your bondage to sin. You were cleansed from its guilt so that you might now live life the life for which you were created, that life which is marked by obedience to God. And so Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, to add to your faith the goodness to which you have been called. But notice, he doesn't stop there. Next he says, to this virtue you are to add knowledge. That is, make every effort to grow in your understanding of what virtue really is. He actually says the same thing at the very end of the book. In in chapter 3, verse 18, where he uses the phrase to to increase in grace or to grow in grace, he, he says not only to grow in grace, but to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? Why is it important to add knowledge We must add knowledge because if we are to truly add goodness to our faith, if we are truly to add virtue to our faith, then we need to know what virtue is. We need to know what it actually looks like in practice to emulate the character of our God. We we need to know what it looks like to share in His nature. Again, think of a, a husband learning what it means to love his wife. 
Early in his marriage, he, he may think that he shows love by buying expensive gifts that they can't really afford. He comes to discover that such gifts just stress out his wife because she knows better than he does that they can't actually afford them. That may be autobiographical or not. <laughs> but as time passes, if he is paying attention, he begins to learn that a better way to love his wife is to, to sit on the porch and talk with her, to help in the kitchen or to take out the trash or to help the kids get ready for bed, to, to help do those things that they do together as a family, to spend time, to, to talk. And you all know what I'm talking about. There, there are ways of expressing love. And there are other ways of expressing love. And we want to express love in the way that, that is appreciated and, and received. And, and we need to understand what it means to love our wives well. We need to understand what it means to love our neighbors well. We need to understand what it means to love our children well. We need to understand what it means to love our, our community well. All of us need to add to virtue knowledge. We need to understand what godliness actually looks like in our particular context. But again, Peter doesn't even stop there. It's not enough just to have virtue and, and knowledge. He says, add to this, add to knowledge, self-control. Now, self-control is the ability to actually do what you know is good. It's one thing to see how to love your wife well. It's another thing to do it. We don't always do this. There have been times when, when I knew how to love Sarah well, and I, I chose not to because I chose myself over her. I chose my own interest. We must add self-control to our knowledge. We must train ourselves to choose to do what we know is good in Jesus Christ. And it won't do to choose the good sometimes. We must train ourselves to choose it consistently. That is why Peter says, and to self-control adds, adds steadfastness. Not only do you need the, the, the self-control to choose what you know, but you must do it again and again and again. Choosing the good must be the habit of your life. This is what we are being called to. And it's why Peter sums up saying that to this steadfastness we are to add godliness. This is what we are building towards, the godliness towards which we have been called. He's, he's reminding us that we are not after virtue for virtue's sake. We are pursuing virtue because we know and love God. We are seeking to emulate our Heavenly Father. We have been called to, to be like our elder brother. God is not pleased by mere pragmatic virtue, by, by, by merely doing what is good because it helps achieve our desired ends. Rather, he is asking us to pursue godliness because we have tasted and seen his goodness. This is why he begins to add, then to this godliness you must add brotherly affection. Because it's a reminder that, that God's goodness is a, is a communal goodness. Virtue is not a private affair. 
It is something we pursue or, or, or practice in community, not in isolation. True virtue, true God-like goodness requires community because it is in, re- in relationship to others that true goodness is expressed. And this is why we must add to our godliness brotherly affection. And on top of it all, the, 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 the virtue that binds it all together is love. Peter says, or Paul says much the same thing. Love is the essence of God's character. It is what we are ultimately after. It is what we are ultimately seeking to grow up into. It is the first of the fruit of the Spirit, the, the virtue that binds all the others together. It is the sum of godliness. This is what Peter is calling us to. He says, listen, you have been given everything you need for godliness. Therefore, pursue it. And pursue it not in some half-hearted way. Pursue it not in some limited way, but pursue it with abandon. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with steadfastness. Make every effort to grow up into Godliness. This is what you've been called to. This is what you have been equipped for. But knowing this, it can still seem beyond our reach. It can still seem too much to ask. And that is why it is so important to remember that this calling is a calling to take up the gift of God. Remember, this growth in godliness, this this increase in grace, this is part of your salvation. This is part of the gift that is being given to you. Not only have you been equipped, but you've been equipped with the desire. You've been equipped with the strength. And as you seek to utilize that strength, God himself promises that he will give the growth. You know enough to know that not every seed that's planted grows. Sometimes even our best efforts fail because ultimately growth is not in our hands. But what do the scriptures teach? The scriptures teach that if we will endeavor after godliness, God will give the growth. This is part of the salvation. This is part of the reason that you have been called into Christ. This is part of the reason that you have been cleansed of your sins. This is what we mean when we say that growth in grace is one of the benefits of our salvation. You see, what Peter is describing here is not a picture of what you must do in order to earn your salvation. It's not a picture of what you must do in order to to stay in God's good graces. Your relationship with Christ and with God are built upon Christ's righteousness and nothing else. And that is a foundation that cannot be shaken. In Him you are justified. And having been justified, you are at peace with God. But part of the blessing of that peace is that he is now at work with you with all his immeasurable power to make you into what he has called you to be. That's why Paul can say in Ephesians that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for just this life. 
And because the, the growth is, is God's gift to us, therefore we may pursue it with abandon. We may give ourselves to the pursuit of growth without fear. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like to undertake projects that I don't know how to do. I, I, I don't like to, to take projects that I, that I know are, are likely to fail or to, to end badly. But this is not such a project. Not because I know how to do it, but because he has already given me everything I need. And he promises to bless my efforts to bring forth the growth that he has caused my heart to desire. And therefore, as you seek to grow in grace, as you seek to supplement your faith with with virtue and with knowledge and with self-control and with steadfastness, as you seek to grow up into godliness, you can do so without fear. For you know that you will not fail. If you make every effort to grow in grace, to, to grow up in godliness, he will give the growth. It's part of the gift that is yours in Jesus Christ. And because such a blessing is ours in Christ by faith alone, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for the good news of this gospel. We thank you, Father, that you have not only forgiven our sins, but that you are even now cleansing us of their guilt and their power, Father. That you are making us new that you are conforming us with ever-increasing glory to the image of your glorious Son. And so, Father, we come before you now asking that you would continue to uh, grant uh, success to us as we seek to supplement our faith with virtue, Father. Give us the growth that our hearts desire and that you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.